Welcome to Today on Broadway for Tuesday, January 16th, 2018. I'm Broadway World's Matt Tamanini. And I am Broadway star's James Marino. Everybody out there listening, whether you were working like James and I both were, um, or if you had the day off, I hope that you had a peaceful and reflective Martin Luther King Day. Um, a, a lot of great tributes uh, online, not only from you know people remembering the late uh, Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King or people who are talking about how his impact has affected their lives. But um, I think at a time like this, there's uh, a lot to be said for remembering somebody who upheld peace and equality uh, above all else, uh, rather than divisive things that seem to be a daily calling card for today's society. So the first story um, seems really appropriate to be released on Martin Luther King Day. But however you were spending your day, I hope that it was a, a good one and one that can help you have a, a peaceful and inclusive and welcoming 2018. First up in the news, Asian American Performers Action Coalition releases a 10-year diversity study. Yeah, James, we talk about these kind of studies a lot, but this one seems to be the biggest one that's publicly available of its kind. Yesterday, the Asian American Performers Action Coalition released its annual report, Ethnic Representation on New York City Stages, for the 2015-2016 theater season. The report details the ethnic breakdown of actors on Broadway and at the 16 largest nonprofit theater companies in New York City. The report also tallies numbers for disabled actors as well. This report... Uh, this year's report amasses 10 years of data tracking hiring practices from the 20 or 2006, 2007 to 2015, 2016 seasons. I'm going to throw a lot of data at you guys, and I know that's not always great in audio format. Uh, so if you want to go through it yourself, we will have a link in the show notes at broadwayradio.com. That link will have all of this stuff that I'm talking about as well as the complete study for you to peruse at your own uh, your own speed. But according to the report, the 2015-16 New York theater season was the most diverse on record. The season featured, obviously, Hamilton, The Color Purple, Shuffle Along, On Your Feet, Allegiance, and the Deaf West revival of Spring Awakening. All of those shows contributed significantly to the numbers that I'm about to talk about. 35% of all roles in this season on Broadway and in the 16 largest nonprofit theaters went to actors of color or disabled actors. The breakdown went like this. Caucasian actors had 65% of all roles. African-Americans had 23. Latinx actors had seven. Asian-American actors were at four. Middle Eastern slash Northern African actors had 0.83%. American Indian actors were 0.08%. And disabled actors were or 0.67% of all roles. Non-traditional casting numbers also reached new highs during the 2015-2016 season after largely remaining stagnant for the past 10 years. On Broadway, 14% of all available roles were cast without regard to race specificity, and amongst the nonprofit theaters, that rose slightly to 17%. Perhaps it's just a function of this specific season, but in 2015-2016, only 16% of roles in Broadway plays 
not musicals, plays went to minority actors, and 14 of those 16 percents were African-American, leaving only 2 percent for other actors of color. Uh, This was helped by Broadway productions of Eclipse to the Gin Game and The Crucible. The nonprofit theater companies filled 35 percent of all of its roles with minority actors in the season, a three-point drop from the season prior, but is still the second year in a row that they have exceeded their 10-year average of 26 percent, a sign uh, that the coalition believes that there are conscious efforts being made to increase diversity. This study also ranks the major theater companies in terms of percentage of minority actors and available roles. The top five were Classic Stage Company at 58%, Second Stage at 53%, The Public at 50%, Theater for a New Audience at 48%, and Primary Stages at 38%. The lowest ones, I don't think this will be a surprise to a lot of people, uh, Roundabout and MCC tied at just 5%, Manhattan Theater Club was at 12 the Atlantic Theater Company at 16, and the York Theater Company at 18. Now, obviously, one single production on a theater's slate, like Classic Stage's Mother Courage, can significantly impact a small company's percentages. But James, overall, I, I, I think this is good news to know that companies and uh, Broadway uh, and and its collective and the industry as a whole is moving in the right direction. We talk about these studies every time they come up, whether they're from equity or somewhere else. I mean, it seems like there is progress, but it's usually kind of at a glacial rate. This study makes you think that things are moving in a positive direction. But again, that 2015, 2016 season seemed to be a little bit of an outlier in terms of the minority led productions, especially on Broadway. So I think that, um, I think that these numbers are going to change dramatically uh, because we've seen dramatic leadership changes uh, in That's in and true. around the Broadway uh, sphere uh, in the last 10 years. I really expect these numbers to be much better in the next in the next uh, study, whether it be in the next if they do the study again in five years or in three years or whatever, I expect it to be better because we've had a very very progressive leadership change uh, starting with you know Jordan Roth. Uh, yeah. Over, over to Jamson and, you know, various leadership changes in the nonprofits in and around uh, New York City on and off Broadway. So this is a really you, – you have no way to move forward unless you measure things. And this 10-year study mm-hmm. is the – is a great way to measure progress and, and, and be able to make substantial changes in the way in which things happen on Broadway. So – Bravo to the folks that's a really who good point. put this together. Yeah, that's a really good point. That you, it's hard to figure out how to fix things if you can't actually look at the data to see where the problems lie. So, very well said, James. I'm glad that I'm glad we recorded that twice so you could get it right. <laughs> you know, sometimes it's hard to keep momentum if it's you that you are following. Oh, well done. And the mute button sucks sometimes. <laughs> All right. Next up in the news, Hal Prince hints at Evita. Broadway run. There you go. There's that there's that very well-placed reference you just made. But uh, yeah, James, we talked about this possibility before the Prince Helmed International Tour launched. But apparently the Prince of Broadway is continuing to fuel the speculative flames. In an interview with the Straits Times, which is a Singaporean newspaper. I don't know if Singaporean is the right way to say that, but it is now. Um, but apparently with the newspaper, Prince said that after the tour goes to Johannesburg, then to Singapore, Australia and Japan, that he hopes that it will arrive back on Broadway. 
Prince said, quote, there is a saying here, meaning in the U.S., if it ain't broke, don't fix it. I believe Avita is close to perfect, and I'm a tad embarrassed saying that, but it has been reflected in the comments of so many people who have seen it. Apparently, after the Avita revival hits Broadway, Hal also plans a bio musical about another female historical figure, but he won't say whom. I'm thinking a Mary Todd Lincoln musical would be really epic, James. <laughs> Crap, nobody steal that. I just need to learn how to write music and then it'll be a hit. So I call dibs. Um, but, James, I didn't see the Elena Rogers, Ricky Martin revival of Evita, but I love this show. It's one of the first ones that I really kind of fell in love with when I started being able to get my own CDs or check them out of the library or something. But um, it seems like there wasn't a lot of love for that one in New York. So maybe the, a good restaging of the original production could be a palate cleanser. Uh, for Broadway audiences in terms of the show. You know that meme going around Facebook, you know, the first uh, musical or play that you saw in each theater and things like that? Uh, I, I'm, not on, I'm not on Facebook, so I'm yeah. not familiar with the meme, but I, I, okay, I understand the concept. Uh, I, um, I want to say maybe Jen Tepper didn't start it, but she was the catalyst well. behind. <laughs> yeah. She was the yeah, catalyst. Well. Once, she, once she did it, everybody seemed to do it. Um, the Broadway theater, Evita was my first show mm. at the Broadway theater. Very cool. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I'd love, to, I'd love to see Evita back. It's one of my favorite shows, uh, insofar as great historical women. Uh, you know, there was a, uh, a musical based on Eleanor Roosevelt. Eleanor Roosevelt. Wait, how, how did you say her last name? Roosevelt. Okay. I just, you know, some people give the Roosevelt, and uh, I guess that probably depends on how much of a New Yorker and where you're from in New York, whether you say Roosevelt or Roosevelt. But either way, yeah. either it's fine. I just was interested. You know, they had the New Yorkian newspaper. Oh, no. <laughs> the New Yorkian Times. Yeah, the New Yorkian Times. <laughs> Although, That's just a that, Singapore newspaper. Yeah, yeah whatever. Uh, Best Truman would be really good, though, too. I, yeah. I would watch a Best Truman musical. Hmm. I think we should, uh, maybe we saw it last year. It was First Lady Sweet, you know? Oh, yeah, that's true. I never saw it, but that's a good point. Very good point. <laughs> good old Michael John. Yeah, MJL. See, all right, Roundabout and the Interval to host a women in theater panel. Yeah, James, next week, Roundabout StubHub, ironically enough, and our friends over at the Interval will be hosting a panel uh, discussion this coming Monday entitled Women in Theater Resetting the Stage. The panel will address inequalities in the theater industry and inclusive pathways to creative leadership roles for next-generation artists. The panel will take place on Monday, January 22nd from 5 to 6 p.m., and it will be streamed on Roundabout's Facebook page. Television writer, director, and producer Amy Sherman Palladino, who also produced Violet on Broadway, she was the creator and showrunner for the TV show Bunheads, which was which starred Sutton Foster. Then she got involved with Violet after seeing the concert, yada, yada, yada. Amy Sherman Palladino also just won a Golden Globe for one of my favorite TV shows of 2017, The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. But I digress. She will be the moderator for this. And the panelists include the director of Roundabout's recent Too Heavy for Your Pocket, Margot Bordelon, three-time Tony winner Kathleen Marshall, Violet and On the Exhale director Lee Silverman, uh, Indecent's Tony winning director Rebecca Tashman, and Whitney White, who is the Roundabout Artistic Development development associate uh james i know this is something that you really wanted to make sure we talked about and let people know about especially with the live stream if they aren't able to see it in new york so um I, i'm looking forward to seeing how 
this panel goes and what kind of conversations and ideas they're able to talk about uh, next Monday. It's important to get these uh, leaders out in front of everybody else and talk about the issues so that people can get a good grasp on these things. Uh, tangential to this, uh, not really related to this um, is that uh, Best Walls, Small Mouth Sounds is uh, playing out in Los Angeles and getting a lot of good reviews out there. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I, whenever I think of uh, leaders on Broadway, uh, so many of these names come to mind, and I'm glad that we're, all, we're getting them together in a room. And not only that, it's just going to be a New York thing, but we're going to all be able to see it on Facebook, except for you, Matt. You're not on Facebook. I mean, I have a Facebook, but it, I don't have any friends. I just use it to post things, but whatever. <laughs> is, that a, is that a cry for help? I don't have any friends. No. <laughs> I have no Facebook friends. No Facebook friends. I've had Facebook. I just don't. It's, it's on Facebook. You just like you take people that you know and they post things, and then you end up disliking them. So I would just rather not know what they're doing and not know what crazy tinfoil hat conspiracy nut theories that they espouse. So, Mister BWW Matt, that never happens on the Twitter. <laughs> Oh, no, it does, but <laughs> I don't really follow anybody I know. And I mean, it's less on the Facebook. Like, yeah. the Facebook is for people like you grew up with and went to high school with. Twitter is for people who, you know, whose work you admire or, or stuff like that. Like, I've found more friends on Twitter um, than I've lost on Facebook, you know, because I'm not mm-hmm. on there. So I'm totally fine with these. These are the social media musings of somebody who's uh, straddling the line between Gen X and Millennial. All right. Next up in the news, uh, Broadway World uh, Database Manager seeks a full-time friend. <laughs> no, 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 no. Oh, I, this no, is no. I, I, misread, I misread this one. I miss. Uh, yeah. We'll, we'll try that again. Take two. Broadway World seeks a full-time editor. Yes. Um, come join me over at Broadway World. Uh, we are hiring a a new full-time editor position. This person will be working specifically with our TV, movies, and music sites. Uh, they'll also be monitoring um, our, our inbox and writing stories about all things theater and TV and movies and doing interviews and stuff like that. Um, it's a really good position for somebody who's looking for an, an entry-level position into the Broadway community. The work schedule would be Monday through Friday, 8 to 5. You do not have to be based in New York. I, you know, As a point of privilege, I don't often throw a whole lot of Broadway world-specific stuff out there, but I figured this is a great position and somebody who, the person who's leaving and being replaced, I've worked with a lot over the years on TV and movie stuff that I don't do as much anymore, but um, it's a lot of fun and a great way to uh, get your foot in the door in the Broadway community. So if you're someone who's looking for a position like this, um, check out the link in the show notes and uh, uh, let Nicole, our managing editor, know when you submit your application that you heard about it from me talking about it on a podcast, and maybe they'll Give me a commission, a headhunting commission or something. Hmm. Do you think that they would ever hire somebody possibly named uh, Mames Gerino? <laughs> I have a feeling, James, they, I'm feeling Broadway World can't afford you, James. Uh, not me. No, or Mames Gerino. Mames Anti-Mames Gerino. I have a feeling we can't afford the big baller uh, uh, like that who's – servicing multi-billion dollar tech companies and stuff. All right. Uh, next up, Crazy Ex-Girlfriend creator Rachel Bloom sings Tinder Fails, the musical. <laughs> I have no idea what this is. Uh, it showed up on Broadway World yesterday. Apparently, there's something called Good Mythical Morning, which is a YouTube Red show. Um 
it's starring guys named Rhett and Link. One's kind of like a lumberjacky kind of guy. One's a hipster. I don't really know what this is all about. I don't know who they are, but they had Rachel Bloom on, who I guess has worked with them before. And what they decided to do was take actual Tinder conversations that people have posted online that went terribly wrong and <laughs> sing them into styles of certain musicals. They have Hamilton, Phantom, Chicago, and Cats. Um, they are cringeworthy. These are the types of things that make my skin crawl, and I hate them so much. I don't like awkward stuff. Some of them are funny. Some of them are awkward. But um, uh, you know, I, I'm a, I've been a big fan of Rachel Bloom from long before Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. Um, so anytime we can see her kind of do something in the more traditional theater world as opposed to the TV musical world it is fun. And hopefully, hopefully, knocking on wood, maybe she'll come to Broadway with Crazy For You when and if uh, Stro is ever, ever able to make that happen. So I have a friend, her name is uh, Melissa Delancey, who basically put together a show called Tinder Roulette about her 150 dates oh, on Tinder. Uh, and so, and it was very, very funny. And, uh, she did it in like 2015. I uh, will have to throw a link to that in the show notes. I, I you know, so I, uh, while I applaud, uh, crazy ex-girlfriend Rachel <laughs> Bloom, uh, for doing this, uh, uh, Meldell, as her friends call her, um, <laughs> to have, uh, Seem to have gotten this uh, this corner of the market done a little bit earlier, but I, I'm looking right. forward to checking this out. Yeah, it's 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 something. Uh, it's uh, it's definitely a thing. So before we wrap up, I wanted to uh, mention an email that we got uh, this morning, or uh, as you listen to this, we got it on Monday morning. Um, one of our listeners, Jesse, had emailed us about "Don't Don't Bother Me, I Can't Cope." And it, which is one of the shows that's going to be at uh, Encore's Off Center, and uh, we breezed through it. Um, you know, I, I honestly I didn't know anything about this musical until Jesse emailed me, and I think it was important to uh, mention what this was. I'm going to read a little bit of Jesse's email. Uh, I didn't ask his permission, so I'm not going to use his last name. And Jesse, please forgive me. Um, he says, uh, it was simply not an off-Broadway musical. It was actually a Broadway musical as well. It ran on Broadway for two years, 1972 to 74, and ran for 1,065 performances. It was an African-American musical written by Mickey Grant and directed by Vinette Carroll. It won two Obie Awards, two Drama Desk Awards, and was nominated for four Tony Awards, plus other awards, including the 1973 Grammy Award for Best Musical Theater Album. Robbie Brazell should have told us that. Also, it's an it's an historic groundbreaking uh, musical, marking the first Broadway musical directed by an African American woman. So that is awesome. Thank you for bringing us that information. You know, as I had mentioned to Jesse, uh, we put together these shows, and they take a lot of time and a lot of effort. And sometimes there's stuff that we just don't know. But this was really important for us to uh, talk about and mention uh, the background of Don't Bother Me, I Can't Cope. And I'm looking forward to seeing it at, at uh, Encore's Off Center. If we could get Peter Felicia to commit to yes. recording every night, he would be able to tell us all these things. But he has much better things to do than to talk to us every day. Um, yeah, so I 
I just read what the press release from Encore said, and it didn't mention all of that. So I apologize. It's something that, like we said uh, on the previous episode, I neither of us had ever heard of. So I'm glad to learn about it. And uh, I guess that's really what both, you know, uh, Encores and Encores Off Center are for is to bring shows that don't get the recognition uh, that they probably deserve uh, in terms of the historical canon uh, and bring them to light and bring them to a new audience. So I think if for no one other than you and me, James, Encore's Off Center has done its job with Don't Bother Me, I Can't Cope. Absolutely. All right. Why don't you get us out of here? Thanks for listening to Today on Broadway. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Broadway Radio. And you can find me on Twitter at BWW Matt and subscribe to Something Like a Pop on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play. And my name is James Marino from BroadwayRadio.com and BroadwayStars.com. Thanks for spending some of your Tuesday with us. I won't be here tomorrow. It'll be just Matt and a surprise guest. And uh, I'll be back on Thursday. We'll talk to you then. It's only a surprise because you can't remember her name. Shh, tell her. (laughs) 